Well, it's good to be with you on a Wednesday night again. It's been a while. Kathy is home. My sweetheart is uh, uh, home resting. I made her do it. I made her stay. I said, you're staying home. And so she's there and um, finishing up those treatments. And, you know, I just thought that I would share with you tonight out of the Bible how to walk through a valley since I'm in one. We're in one. And um, so I want to share with you out of one of my favorite songs. Before I do, let me encourage you. Next Wednesday night, I'm going to be up here with a guitar. I was practicing the songs last night. I was worshiping my own bedroom with the guitar, and uh, it took me back. And so we're going to have a great time next Wednesday night singing, I think, 14 songs. If you're not in the Christmas spirit, next week we'll do it. And if next week doesn't do it, you need to get saved. We'll pray for you, okay? I'm so excited that they're up there tonight uh, breaking in that new room worshiping God, having a youth meeting. I know it's going to be great. The wonderful thing about it is, is all but about $60,000 is totally paid for, well over half a million dollars paid for. And so, uh, go ahead. You can praise God. That's a real praise God for me. With debt comes stress. Less debt, less stress. Amen? And so, God has done a good thing. I'm so excited about that. I want to talk to you, like I said, about how to go through a valley. I want you to turn to Psalms 37, 3 to 7. If you have your Bibles with you, Psalms 37, 3 through 7. I can't tell you how many times this psalm has carried me through a tough spot. It's one of my favorite psalms. It's, I, it's probably more marked up in my Bible than any other psalm. It is rich. David in this psalm is under the gun. He is being persecuted. He is being stalked by enemies. Uh, He's going through all kinds of valley experiences. And so, of course, God the Holy Ghost was with him and gave him some, some real steps to grab hold of, some faith levers to grab hold of, um, to walk through this valley and come out on the other side and live to tell about it. Amen? And so, Uh, Let's read this psalm. If we could just stand one more time for the reading of the word, then you can be seated the rest of the time, and I alone must continue to stand. Okay? Starting at verse 3, let's read it out loud. Read it with me. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him. And he will bring it to pass. He shall bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass. Amen. Amen. Father, thank you for your words. Speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Tell your neighbor, this is going to be good tonight. You're going to leave encouraged. Amen. Now, these, these passages I discovered long ago. I, I'm talking about in my 20s. I remember in my 20s and 30s, you know, a few years ago. I'm just making sure y'all are listening. And Okay. Many years ago, I, this, this psalm became a, a, just a real help to me because I saw that it gave me several things to do when I was going through a struggle. It gave me a a path by which to walk through a valley. And, you know, I've seen people get lost in valleys. I've gotten lost in a valley before. 
I've seen people get lost in valleys and, and make bad decisions in valleys. And I've seen people go into a valley and, and can I be honest with you, never come out. They stay in the valley. They, they pull back and they withdraw and they don't come back to church and they don't, they just get stuck in that valley. They build a house in that valley. They raise their kids in the valley. Uh, there's no real joy, no real victory because they've, they have set up camp in that valley. They've decided this is what Christianity is. But folks, in real Christianity, valleys don't last. <clears throat> okay? Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. So what we have here is six helpful commands to keep us on track when trying to find our way through a midnight hour. And, and I want you to say them with me. Trust, do good, dwell, delight, commit, and rest. Now that's six commands. He's not telling us to pray about it. It's a command. He's telling us to do these things when we're in a valley. So I'm going to deal with them one at a time. The first one is trust in the Lord. The very first thing he says, and, and of course he's writing it out of his own valley experience. He, he, he's writing it out of the crucible of his own trouble. So he's writing to himself, preaching to himself as well as sharing it with us. The very first thing you got to do in a valley is you must trust in the Lord. You, you know what I've realized? Let me throw something your way. Never does a person sin before they have given up their trust in God. When you sin, you must first have said, God can't take care of me. God can't provide for me. God is not enough for me. I don't trust him to carry me through th this moment. And, and we turn to something else when we have not trusted God. Now, you may not understand all your circumstances. Most of the time in a valley experience, you don't understand everything. And it may seem like God is a million miles away. How many of you have ever felt that way? I know he's there, but I don't sense him, right? It may, you may feel like nothing makes sense. I was listening to a preacher on the way here. Wickwire? I was. I was listening to it on the way here. Just, I don't listen all the time, but when I'm stuck in rush hour... I listen to me. <laughs> and I said, I'm quoting Wickwire. I said, you know, I've got a file cabinet. I told you about the file cabinet. And it's marked things I don't understand. And, and, and um, that's, what it's, that's what it says on the top of the file. Now, the file cabinet itself says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. And don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. The things I don't understand, I give to God, and I trust him anyway. Okay? So you may not feel like anything's making sense. That happens to believers all the time. And what you thought was going to transpire in your life doesn't transpire. And you don't get it. It's like, I thought I would be here, and I'm here. I thought I would have this, but I have this. And I thought I would have gotten this far, but I've really only gotten this far. I thought the scenario of my life by this age would be this, but instead it's this. And I don't understand. I don't get it. Life takes a different turn, and it takes a different turn all the time. And that is when you're to place your undivided trust, listen, in the character of God. See, the word is only as good as the one who gave it to us. 
So if I can't trust the character of God, I can't trust the Word of God. Because God breathed out the Word. So if I'm going to believe His Word, I've got to believe that He is who the Word says He is. He's a good God, a loving God, a just God, a long-suffering God, a merciful God, a loyal, faithful God. I've got to believe these things about God or the Word doesn't mean a whole lot to me. So when I say you've got to put your trust in the Lord, we read that in the Bible, but the Bible points to the one that gave it to us. And so I say, Lord, in the valley, I put my trust in the character that I believe you have. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. See, Solomon was only echoing his daddy, David. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean to your own understanding. Have you ever realized your own understanding many times can't give you the answer? Your own understanding, your own understanding is very limited. And, and there just comes a time where you're not going to figure it out. And you've got to just trust in the Lord implicitly. All right? So you trust in the Lord with all of your heart. I want you to notice that Solomon adds right next to after that, he says, in all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. Now that's a strong statement of faith. Here I am. I don't understand what's going on. My own understanding is not giving me any answers. But he says, not only trust him, but in all of your ways acknowledge him. You know what that means? Lord, you are Lord of my life and I acknowledge you at this juncture in my life, when, I, when I'm in a valley, I don't understand what's going on. I don't know where to turn. I don't necessarily know what to do. But Lord, I acknowledge you in all my ways. And he will take me through the valley. He promises if we acknowledge him in the valley, which means to acknowledge his lordship. So I acknowledge him in the valley. I don't turn here, I don't turn there. I don't look at something else or to something else. I look to him and I acknowledge him. Lord, you're Lord of my life. Though I don't get it, I trust you implicitly. I'm with, I, I know you're with me and I commit myself to you. That's why it says later in the very same chapter, the steps of a good man are ordered, established by the Lord and he delights in his way. So God is gonna sovereignly lead you when you acknowledge him in all of your ways. And before that, you've got to put your trust in him. And he will take care of you. He's going to lead you. So everybody say with me, trust him. Trust his character. How many of you can say he's a good God? He's not going to burn you, rip you off, walk out on you. When everybody else walks out, God walks in. Amen? Now, the second thing he said to do in a valley is do good. Now, isn't that good advice? Do good. I was talking to somebody this week who's been through a really difficult time. And, and you know what they were doing when I talked to them? They were ministering. They were, they were reaching out, helping other people. And I said, you are doing the right thing because they had just gone through a severe heartbreak. And so instead of sitting at home, pulling the shades, pulling a blanket over their head, and withdrawing into depression, they decided to do good. Get out and do good. I cannot tell you how often simply getting out and doing good by ministering to others has helped carry me through a midnight hour. I can't tell you how many times giving to others has delivered me from pain. 
When you give to others, the Spirit of God is going to flow through you. It's going to get your mind off of you. It's going to get your mind off of your own problems and get your mind on others. And you'll realize, I'm not alone, but everybody, or at least a lot of people, are hurting. And if you got somebody that's not hurting, hang on. They will eventually hurt over something. David said, while trusting in God, stay active in just doing good. Do good. Doing good is a good thing to do when you don't know what to do. Can you say that with me? Doing good is a good thing to do when you don't know what to do. Now, I don't know if you're the type of person that withdraws, but I am. I can withdraw into my pain. I can get into my man cave. How many of you guys have a man cave? All right. I can go into my man cave and shut the door. That's just any room a man decides is going to be his man cave. That becomes his man cave. You go in there and just shut the door and you don't, let any, you don't go out and you don't let anybody in and you just sit in there in the shadows mulling over your problems. I've learned that solves nothing. If I want to get better, if I want to get, uh, get pulled out of the doldrums, I need to do good. Amen. Think of Paul. He, he lived a life of persecution and pain. Anytime you read about him, he's either just been persecuted or he's about to be persecuted. He was always in prison, always getting whipped, always being ostracized, always being put through some kind of a trial. But it's this same Paul who said this, we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. There is something in your life right now that God has prepared for you to do. Show me a Christian that's not doing something in the name of the Lord, and I'll show you a Christian that's missing, missing out. Because God created us for good works. Now, good works don't save you, but good works prove and testify that you have been saved. Show me somebody who says they're saved and they haven't involved themselves in good works, and I wonder if they were saved. Amen, Pastor Jeff, good preaching. I'm going to get that CD. I mean, when I really got on fire for Jesus, you couldn't stop me from getting involved in good works. Something, doing something to the glory of God. And so the book of Hebrews says this, don't neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Share what you have. You say, well, what do I have? Well, you got something I don't have because I'm not you. You've got something. You know, I look around. What I'm looking at is a room full of gifted people. And, I, and I'm looking at a, a room full of people who have a gift that I don't have. Th- th- because nobody can do it like you because there's only one you. Amen. Just like God made every snowflake different, he made every person different. Nobody can do what you can do like you under the anointing. So get out there, and he says, do good works. Pray for somebody. Take somebody something in the name of the Lord. Bless them. You know, we've had women all week long. Look look at these decorations. We've had church people come in here all week long, and and in here and out in the uh, foyer. They've been out there fluffing these trees and putting up these. If you left it to Jeff Wickwire to hang the ornaments in this place and decorate this place, you wouldn't want to see it. You wouldn't want to come in here. You would not want to take pictures because I don't have the gift they do. 
you need to go upstairs and look at the carpet, the way they decorated the carpet with all the multicolors. I couldn't ever do that. I'm happy to turn it over to people who have that gift because nobody can do it like them. And see, God anointed you, and he gave you at least one gift. And if you want to get out of your depression, you want to make it through the valley, then while you're in the valley, decide, well, I can't do anything about this. I'm in the valley. I might as well bless somebody. I might as well do good and get out there and minister. Doing good keeps your eyes off of yourself and your problems. I'm going to say something else. A valley time is the worst time to shut yourself in. So anybody watching right now, you've been sitting in your house, you haven't been to church in months because you went through something, some heartache, some pain, you got offended in church, and so you've decided to sit, soak, and sour at home. Let me tell you something. Get off your blessed assurance and get back in church. Because we need you here. Well, my mother's going to call me on that one. So say with me, David said, trust God and go find an outlet to do good. And that's what you do when you're in the valley. Now, the third thing he said is dwell on the land and feed on his faithfulness. Have you ever stopped to think about that phrase? Feed on his faithfulness. Now, first, David says dwell on the land. When David mentions the land, he means the land of promise. That's what it meant to him the land that God called Abraham to. It's very interesting to me that he says this because I know that when you're in a valley, that's when it's easy to drift away from the Lord in your pain. When you're in the valley, he says, when you're in a valley, instead of drifting away in your pain, dwell in the land. What was the land to them? Well, it was was Canaan, but what did it exemplify, what did it symbolize? It it was the place of promise. It was the promise of God. So here's David saying, to God, it not only matters where your trust is, trust in the Lord, but it matters where your feet are when you're in the valley. I've seen people go through valleys where they were hurting so bad that they really, they, they left the church, they left the place of prayer, they left fellowship, They ended up going into places they shouldn't have been, turning to a bottle, turning to some drug, going to places that were not healthy for them spiritually, hurting, letting their pain drive them away from God instead of near to God. It's the old saying, the same sun that melts butter hardens clay. Some people, when they go through a valley, it hardens their heart. And and they say, you know what? I wasn't counting on this. I wasn't banking on this. This is what I thought Christianity was. And they, and they harden their heart and they walk away from God and they drift into the wrong places. But David said, when you're in your valley, I want you to dwell in the land. Stay in the land of promise. Now, what is the land of promise for us? How do you spell Jesus? J-E-S-U-S. Hey, that's my promised land. He's my promised land and the heaven, of course, that he's going to take me to someday. But Jesus is the promised land. So we could change this and we could say, dwell in Jesus, abide in Jesus and feed on his faithfulness when you're in a valley. Dwell on the land of promise. Dwell where the place of God's presence is. Instead of getting out of church, get into church more than you were, where God's spirit is moving where God's people are, 
where people are being saved, where the word is being preached, where he's being worshipped in spirit and in truth. Get there even more than ever. Get into the place and stay in the place he has called you to. You know, one of the things that got Israel in trouble all the time, many times in the Old Testament, Abraham and others, is when they went down to Egypt in valley times. You'll see that a famine would, would strike them in the promised land and, and something like that. And instead of staying in the land and trusting God, they went into, down into Egypt. The Bible always says down. They went down to Egypt because the Egypt represents the world. Anytime you return to the world, you've gone down. They went down to Egypt. And nothing good happened when they went to Egypt instead of staying in the land of promise. It never went well. They always got into trouble. That's where Abraham lied about Sarah being his sister. And he got in trouble with the king and he got in trouble with his wife. That happened in Egypt. He lied. He stumbled. He messed up when he was in Egypt. Instead of staying in that promised land, even though there was a famine, God would have taken care of them, but there was a famine, so they fled. Now he says, when you're in a valley and it's like a famine, it's a tough time. You're going through a difficult hour. He said, don't let that drive you from God, but stay right in the middle, in the epicenter of God's will and feed on his faithfulness. What a way to put it. It's like I'm at a banqueting table and the main course is God's faithfulness. And I'm to feed on it. How do you do that? Remind yourself of all the past times the Lord has helped you. How his faithfulness came through. He did it once. He's going to do it again. Has he ever let you down before? No. Then he's not going to let you down now. You remember. You remind yourself of the faithfulness of God. And you feed on that faithfulness. Build up yourself in your most holy faith, the Bible says. Remind yourself. Let me ask you a question tonight. Has the Lord ever failed you? Has he ever let you down? Let me ask you another question. Have you let him down? Even when you let him down, did he let you down? No. He chased you. He pursued you. He forgave you. He brought you back into the fold, and he was faithful with you. The Bible says, He watches over his word to perform it. He's faithful over his word. He's a faithful God. So feed on his faithfulness when you're in that valley. Yeah, I'm in a valley. It's a dark time. It's a difficult time. I don't understand everything. But then you say, but I trust in the integrity and the character of God. And I'm going to set my mind to do good things for people to get out there and minister and not withdraw into depression or self-pity. And and I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, feed on the Lord, on his faithfulness. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to remember what he's done for me and I'm going to build up my faith. And I'm not going to allow this valley to destroy me, but I'm going to let it make me. So while trusting in God and doing good and dwelling in the land and feeding on his faithfulness, then next he says, delight yourself in the Lord. Now I know what some of you are thinking, because I've thought this before. Sometimes the Bible tells us to do something I just don't feel. You know? You say, well, Jeff, I would love to feel that way, but I just don't feel like delighting myself in the Lord. I feel blue. I feel down. I feel troubled instead in this valley. How am I supposed to delight myself in the Lord when I've got so much trouble and difficulty around me? Here's the deal. 
This is where you learn to offer a sacrifice of praise. Can you say with me, sacrifice of praise? You know what sacrifice of praise is? When you praise God and you don't feel like it. Listen to Hebrews. Through him then, through him. Can you say through him? Look at it. Through him, through the strength he gives, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of the lips that acknowledge his name. So how often are we to do it? Continually. We are to continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. See, the, uh, the sacrifice of praise, folks, is an act of the will. You don't feel it. It's an act of the will. We do it not because I feel it, but because I've decided to do it. Uh, Kathy and I, when, when she got this um, diagnosis and we began to go through this valley, we decided we were going to thank the Lord. Not for it, but we were going to thank the Lord in it. And I'm serious. We have. We have sat in the house and said, Lord, we don't understand, but we thank you in this. And we offer the sacrifice of praise. I did it on the way to church tonight. I offer to God a sacrifice of praise. It's, it, you do it when you don't feel like it, and that's what makes it a sacrifice. Delighting yourself in the Lord is as much a decision as it is an emotion. What I've learned is this. Feelings follow decisions. Have you ever noticed that? Feelings follow decisions. Now, in America, we've got it backward. I'm not going to decide something until I feel it. And if I feel it, then I'm going to decide to do something. But if I don't have an emotion to back it up, then I'm usually not going to make a decision. In other words, in America, we're emotion-driven. If I feel it, it's real. If I don't feel it, it's not real. That's why you'll hear people divorce. And you say, why are you divorcing? Well, because we just fell out of love. Well, how come you don't just decide to love one another again? Well, I've got to be hit with a feeling. What's that old song? I'm hooked on a feeling. I'm high on believing. Listen, in America, we are hooked on feelings. But just because you don't feel something anymore doesn't mean you put up the white flag and walk away. Because, listen, feelings follow decisions. Come on, everybody. You know, I have preached for a very long time, and I've seen people, you know, you'll have a, a revival. People come flooding down on the altar, and, and in an emotional moment, they give their heart to Jesus, and it's real. I'm not saying it's not real, but they give their heart to Jesus, and then they say things like, Lord, whatever you want me to do, wherever you want me to go, I don't care where it is, I'll go and I'll do it. We say it in an emotional frenzy. But then life happens. With all of its stresses and all of its problems and all of its challenges. And we wake up and we say, where'd the feeling go? I don't feel it anymore. I don't feel that love for Jesus. I don't feel the excitement. I don't have the zeal anymore. I just kind of feel flatlined spiritually. So now what do I do? Let me tell you what you don't do. You don't take that as a signal that you're to give everything up and walk away. All it means is you exercise the will that God gave you, and you say, I'm going to delight myself in the Lord no matter what I feel. And that's going to begin with a sacrifice of praise. We must decide to delight ourselves in the Lord. I was listening to a radio host. I won't tell you who. It doesn't matter. But... 
he was saying, you know, my wife and I got into some trouble in our relationship. So I decided that I was going to take her a rose every day on my way home from work. I started going and getting her a rose, a single rose every day. I stop at the store and get it and bring it to her. And at first, I didn't feel it. There was no rush. There was no sensation. There was no driving emotion. I just did it. But he said, as I kept on doing that and made that decision and gave her that rose every day, something began to change in my heart. And our relationship grew. And it was just one of the things that built a bridge. Because, folks, Jesus did not save us to be slaves to our emotions. He gave us a will. And when we will to do what is right, he has wired us that emotions will eventually follow. Okay? Let me just really tell you the truth. Spending time with God is really an acquired taste. If you think about it, think about all the bad habits you ever had. Every one of those bad habits began with an act of the will. You decided to smoke that first cigarette. And now I did it. I was a Marlboro kid. I'm serious. I started smoking when I was 13, quit when I was 16. I got in early and out early. But I can remember the first hit off that cigarette almost killed me. Because, you know, you want to be cool with the cigarette hanging out your mouth. You know, you're cool hanging around at the 7-Eleven after school. You got the cigarette. Hey, you got a light? Yeah, I got a light, man. And I remember taking that first cigarette, and I knew that everybody inhaled. So I thought, oh, no big deal. I'll inhale. And I inhaled, and I tried that cool when I first inhaled. But let me tell you, this cool guy had to run somewhere and choke and sputter, and I almost died because it felt like I dropped a brick down into my lungs. See, 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 I had to make a decision to start a bad habit, but I persevered until eventually I liked it. And you realize that any bad habit you ever pick up, drugs, come on, alcohol, come on, I don't care. Any alcohol tastes wretched first time around. But you persevere. I got to be cool. I got to drink. I got to be with the guy. I got to go out with everybody. I got to have my times where I, you know, get drunk or drink with them. I've got to, I can't be uncool and not drink. But that first drink, it does not taste good. You can't lie to me and tell me that it did. But when you persevere, you eventually acquire a taste for it. Now flip that. And let's talk about good habits. Delighting in God if, at first is an act of the will. I delight myself in the Lord by putting him first in my day. I don't feel like getting up in time to get with God. There's nothing in my flesh that wants to get up and get with God. When the alarm goes off a little bit early so I have time to get up and get with God, I rebuke it, turn it off, put it on pause, and go back to sleep. There's nothing in my flesh that wants to get up early and get with God. But if I persevere, it will eventually become an acquired taste. Watch this. What was first a duty becomes a delight. Uh Uh-huh. Right? See, you don't have any habit tonight that you didn't exercise your will over the first time. You've got it because you decided to have it. You've got it because you decided to do it. And then later on, you've got to decide to get off of it if it's a bad one. I can honestly tell you before God, that I experience a genuine hunger every morning to get into God's Word and spend time with Him. There are mornings I can't wait. There are mornings I'll get up even earlier 
And what's waking me up is a hunger to go in there and get in God's word. Now, I'm not bragging. I'm not patting myself on the back. I'm just telling you that all the years that I've been saved, I, I made up my mind I was going to seek God. I made up my mind I was going to spend time with him. It was a decision. And boy, in a valley, if there's ever a time, you ought to have that habit. It's in the valley. See, the valley can really cause you to create some good habits, what I call holy habits. See, in the valley, you're in so much pain. It's like David said, before I was afflicted, I went astray. I was a drifter before I was afflicted. But now that I've been afflicted, I keep your word. So in that time of affliction, that time of valley, God can use that time, and I believe wants to use that time, that we would develop some habits that last a lifetime. This habit has been in my life for years, and it's an acquired taste. Getting up, getting with God, getting into the Word, and, and I love it. It is the highlight of my day. It's like Saturday, do it. Sunday morning, when I'm going to preach, I still get up and go through my own devotional that has nothing to do with what I'm going to preach. But I need that time with God. I gather that manna every morning. It's my habit. And you get me away from that habit, I'm going to get the shakes. I, I'm going to withdraw because I am, I am addicted to getting in the Word and getting with God. Now, did I do that? I didn't do that. Jesus did that in me. And you notice that this is the first of the six steps with a promise attached. He will give you the desires of your heart. If you delight in the Lord, he will give you the desires of your heart. There's something about putting God first the Lord honors. And here we're told that he honors it with answered prayer by giving us the things that we really desire. And I've looked at it this way as well. When I put the Lord first, that's going to align and influence my desires anyway so that what I end up desiring is something right and good because I've been seeking the Lord. So we could even put it this way. If you delight in the Lord, whatever the desires of your heart become, he did it. He gave you those desires. Desires, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires that grip your heart. Amen. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he that comes to God must believe that he is and that he rewards those who diligently seek him. Now, next, David says, commit your way to the Lord. Now, as we've already stated, we're to acknowledge him in all of our ways. This is talking about commitment of all we are or ever could be. We commit our way to him. We commit the path of our life to him. We commit our future to him. We commit our relationships to him, especially when in a valley experience. Valleys have a way of shaking things up and getting you to the place where um, the things that you might not have been noticing that needed to go from your life, now you see them. And you say, wow, okay, I, I'm going to purge myself of this and I'm going to get that out and, I, and I'm going to really be a little bit tighter in my, in my pursuit of God and I'm going to spend a little more time with him and a little less time with this, that, or the other. A valley has a way of cleansing you and purifying your walk. 
And again, he got, he's got a promise attached. He said, he said, I will bring it. He will bring it to pass. He will bring it to pass. If you commit your way to the Lord, he will bring it to pass. You say, well, Pastor Jeff, what is it? I love it. I love it right there because it means his will for you. He will bring it to pass. One commentator says, he will do what your faith has laid hold of him for. There you are. You're trusting him, delighting in him, doing good, spending time with him, walking in prayer, staying in the word, and, and, and you're committing everything you are or ever could be to him. And now he says to you, now the things you have given to me in this valley time, the things your faith has laid hold of, I'm going to bring it to pass. Amen. What a promise. Another commentator says he will accomplish all that is needful. What it means here, bottom line is, God goes to work on your behalf when you commit your way to him and you walk in these steps that David has given us in this psalm. When you do these things, God goes to work behind the scenes on your behalf and I believe he prepares a table before you in the presence of your enemies. So the, when you come out, the, out on the other side of this valley, your cup is going to be running over because God has brought you through and you've learned some things. Your faith has grown deeper, wider, higher, stronger, and now you're coming out. And that's God's purpose, I'm convinced, in valley experiences. And that finally brings me to one of my favorite verses, and it really dovetails with what we just went over. After trusting and doing good and dwelling on his promises and feeding on his faithfulness and delighting in him, we are told, rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Amen. Amen. Now, the real reading from the Hebrew is like this. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently in faith for him to act. That's the literal reading. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently in faith for him to act. Rest in the Lord. Now, rest is from a Hebrew word meaning this. Quiet yourself. Be silent. Hold your peace. Cease from your own labors. Doesn't that sound nice? Quiet yourself. It's almost like the Lord here is telling us in a real spiritual way, hush. Now, we're coming to the end here. We've done five things so far. Now, this is the last one. What I see is this. The only way we can do this last one is if we've done the first five. Because it means that I have rolled all of my burdens onto the Lord and have made my prayer clear to him. And only then can we cease from worrying or fretting or from trying to bring his will to pass on our own strength like Abram and Sarah did. Okay? I'm ceasing. I'm, I'm, I'm resting. I know he's got it. He's heard my petitions, and I'm patiently and peacefully waiting in faith for him to act on my behalf. How many of you believe that God answers prayer? Do you believe that? Now, this psalm 
is telling us, here's how you go through a valley. And the last thing he says is, rest in the Lord and wait in faith. Wait in faith. You know, there's lots of ways to wait, and I've waited in many different ways. You can wait like a person waiting at a bus stop for a bus that's late. You're mad. You're fuming. Where's God? Your foot is tapping. I don't understand. You got a bad attitude. But you're waiting. But you're not waiting in faith. You're waiting in the flesh. See, this person has ceased from their own labors. They have quit struggling. They have quit pushing. They've quit trying to make something happen. They've given it to God. They trust him. He has it all. Now I'm resting in the Lord. I wait for that state of mind before I end my devotional time every single day. I don't leave my devotional till I'm resting in him. Oh, it means everything to me. Because I know as soon as I walk out the door, I walk right smack into the world, the flesh, and the devil. So I must be filled with the Spirit, and I must know that He's got everything in the hollow of His hand, and then I can rest in Him. I can just sit back and trust Him. And I'm waiting for Him to act. See, God right now is doing things behind the scenes on many of our behalf. We don't see it. We don't know it, as in seeing it with our eyes or hearing it with our ears, but by faith we know it, and one day we're going to see manifested what we have been praying for, but in the meantime, I'm resting in God. I'm not uptight. I'm not anxious. I'm not worried. I'm not fretting. I'm not wringing my hands. I haven't got a knot in my stomach. I'm resting. I'm resting in God. So say with me, trust him, dwell in him, feed on his faithfulness, delight in him, commit your way to him, and rest in him. Can we stand up together tonight? If you do these things, you're going to go safely through the valley to the other side. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you right now.